man. <clears throat> man, I need to um, apologize to those who are watching online. We're having a few technical issues this morning, cutting in and out, but um, hopefully you're with us now. And great to have people back in the room as well. A real joy. So we have been looking for the last couple of weeks, really. Um, Joe Herbert James was talking to us about the problem of disconnection. Um, and our value of connection. Um, we had Sim talk about um, connecting with God and how to reconnect with God. And Joe kind of laid out this real profound disconnection that happens at the beginning of Genesis. This disconnection between us and God, but also this disconnection within ourselves, a disconnection with us, our disconnection with creation, and our disconnection with each other. And we see that played out in the story because Adam and Eve hide from God. They cover themselves because shame has entered um, the arena. They blame each other. There is power plays going on. The relationships are fractured. Um, and, and they're separated from creation because they're, um, and they have to work and toil at creation and they're um, excluded from the garden. And we see this, we see this profound disconnection go on. And like I say, we've looked at um, some of these already. Um, and we've looked at us and God and we've looked at us and creation. And today um, I'm going to be looking at um, us and each other and us so the and this week and next week we're going to be looking at these two this disconnection that happens between each other and this disconnection that happens within ourselves and actually there's a common theme um to both and the common theme to both i'm trying to connect click this and it's not working um can we go on again um the common theme is loneliness um I don't think this is working, so why don't you just try and keep up with me and let's see how that goes. So yeah, our, this disconnection of loneliness um, that happens within us. Now, loneliness is an epidemic um, in our society, particularly in our Western society, our individualized society. And there are, there's a few statistics that bounce around. I mean, just in May 2020, the government released statistics saying that 45% of adults are lonely in the UK which is quite a staggering statistic. Similarly, um, there was a study in a little while earlier in America that said 22% of adults are chronically lonely, which is a really disturbing figure because, um, and I think that whilst that survey in the UK was done in May 2020, so quite near the beginning of COVID, I think we've seen COVID probably um, intensify and worsen that statistic. See more of us feeling isolated and lonely. Dr. Henry Cloud says, deep connections and relationships are the foundations of our humanity. COVID has attacked our sense of connection, our routine, our rhythm, and our structure. So right at the core of what it means to be human is this need for connection, is this need for relationship. And yet what COVID has done is has really emphasized this isolation and this separation and attacked our sense of connection. Sometimes Zoom just does not cut it, does it? Because the impact of loneliness is quite staggering. It's actually, you know, we can think that loneliness is like, well, I just feel a bit lonely, I feel a bit sad, maybe it's just an emotion, but it's physically similar to hunger or pain. It's a physical 
biological response because it revs up our hormones and it wears on our organs. It impacts our quality of sleep. It's linked to or causes heart disease, high blood pressure, obesity, depression, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's. So the impact of loneliness can be quite catastrophic to us. In fact, the impact is similar to smoking 20 cigarettes a day. It has a greater impact on our mortality than obesity or inactivity or air pollution. It increases our mortality. It increases our mortality by 26%. On average, it reduces our life expectancy by 15 years. Now, that's quite a shocking statistic. Our life expectancy is reduced, can be reduced by 15 years. And there's more as well, because it activates our threat mechanisms. It kind of kicks into that fight or flight part of our brain, that core part of our brain. So it activates our threat mechanisms, which can cause us to shrink or want to remove ourselves from a situation, which in turn intensifies our sense of loneliness. But also it impacts our ability to read facial expressions, making us more likely to infer negativity from somebody which in turn intensifies our sense of loneliness. And so it can be a very difficult cycle to break away from. The definition I'm using here of loneliness is this. It is the gap between your expectation or your need of relationship and the reality of your experience. So we have, each of us might have a different sense of expectation or need of relationship. Introverts might need a little bit less, maybe, and extroverts might need a little bit more, or whatever it might be. Different ones of us can function different ways, but whatever our expectation or need of relationship is, loneliness is when there is a gap between what we need or what we expect and what our reality of our experiences or what our experience is. So it's quite a helpful definition. And there are three aspects to this. There are three ways here, really, that we can be lonely or we experience loneliness. There are three types of relationships that we need. First is we need those intimate relationships. We need those close connections. And let me be clear here. I'm not talking, uh, when we talk about loneliness, we're not talking about singleness. It is entirely possible to be married and have loads of friends and to feel profoundly lonely. It is entirely possible to be single and have lots of friends and whatever and not be lonely at all. This isn't about singleness versus marriage. You're not incomplete if you're single. Loneliness can impact every single one of us. The people actually who can look like they have the most friends can often be the people who can feel the loneliness, the loneliest. But we need this sort of intimate connection. Two or three people who we are fully known by. Two or three people who we share life with. Two or three people, and that might be your, 
your spouse, but it also can be some really strong, deep friendships. The people who are going to be there in a crisis, the people who are going to show up no matter what, in the middle of the night when something happens, the people who are going to be there who know you, the people who are going to have the tough conversations with you when someone needs to tell you, the people who are going to hold you accountable, the people who are going to um, challenge you. And these relationships, these deep relationships, are relationships that we need to invest in. They require vulnerability. They require time. They require honesty. They require challenge. They require accountability. Those are all things we have to choose to commit to. There's no point kind of going, oh, I just don't have those people, if you're not willing to invest the time or to be vulnerable or to be honest. These are characteristics of these relationships. And it's really important for all of us that we have those types of relationships. But we also need that social, relational um, relationships, that network of friends or family, those people who we know, who we're going to say hi to, these people who are going to be in contact with from time to time, or you know, it might be your small group, might be your friends, um, might be the guys you go to sports with or play sports with, or whatever it might be. But we need that network of family and friends. And again, it is shown through science that actually the more connected we are in this sense, the better our network of friends, of family, our support network, the greater our resilience when a crisis comes along. There is this principle of five plus five plus five. Who are the, if you had a crisis come along, who are the five people you would go to for help that you would call and say, I need, I need to talk about this, or I need some help, can you help me with this, or if, you know, whatever it might be. Who are those five people? And if those five people couldn't help at that time, do you have another five? that you would go to, kind of like a next kind of down your list in your, in your notebook or in your diary or in your address book. And then do you have that wider group of people? And if it's, it's found scientifically that people who have that five plus five plus five are massively more resilient in a crisis than people who don't. So there's this direct correlation between that sort of network of family and friends and our resilience um, in life. But then there's this third aspect too, the sort of tribal collective, that we're part of something bigger. That we have this belonging. And church can be that. I mean, church in some ways, you know, we can have the people who are the two or three in this context. We also have the small group maybe who can be part of our social and relational, but also we're part of this bigger movement. We're part of this bigger group that we can identify with, that we share life with, that we're part of, that we invest in. And um, so it's really important to, be, um, to have that bigger sense of belonging. I think there's a lot of people in society who have really struggled because maybe that belonging came, you know, when they went to the football match or whatever sport it might be, or um, they felt like they were part of something bigger. They felt like they had this belonging, and suddenly that's not, they've not been able to access that. People who haven't been able to get to church, maybe have felt like they're missing part of this. And the thing is, we can be really strong in one of these or even in two of these and not have the third 
and we will feel lonely. Or we can feel lonely. It can be, we can have those two or three people and maybe we're part of this something bigger but we don't really have this network or we can, we can have this network and we can have family and friends and we can feel like we're part of something but we haven't been able to identify, we haven't got those two or three people that we're fully known by and we feel a bit lonely, we feel a bit disconnected. And one of the things that has really um, surprised me, I think, probably naively, but one of the things I think surprised me through um, this lockdown, you know, you kind of think, well, who's going to cope with this isolation or lockdown and everything being online? And you kind of assumed that maybe our young people would cope really well with everything being online because they live online all the time, right? Like, this is, is this going to be anything new for them? They spend a lot of time in their rooms, they're online all the time, like, what changed? But actually, we've seen mental health issues rise most quickly amongst our young people. There's something of an epidemic in our society of mental health. And it was, wasn't that we didn't have issues before, but this pandemic has shone a, shone a, a magnifying glass on it. And some of that is because social media can only do so much. And there's this idea, actually, um, it's actually referred to um, as social snacking. But it has no nutritional or limited nutritional value. So we can feel like we're connecting. But it's not actually feeding that need for connection that we have deep within us. But it's a double-barreled problem because what it also does, our social media, is it gives us the impression that everyone else is doing great. Everyone else is thriving. Look at all the friends they've got. Look at how many likes and comments and whatever that they've got. Look how popular they are. Look how happy they look in all their pictures. Look how many, look at all the stuff they're involved with. And we kind of think, oh my goodness, I'm missing out, which increases our sense of need or expectation of connection. And so now our gap is wider. So actually all we've ended up doing is feeling more lonely, not less lonely. Social media doesn't really answer the problem. Uh, Megan Good said this, you're not lonely because you don't have a thousand friends. You're lonely because you haven't invested deeply in one or two key relationships. How do we do that? How can we keep doing that? Frederick Bushner says, you can survive on your own. You can grow strong on your own. You can prevail on your own. But you cannot become human on your own. We need relationship. We are created to be relational. We are created to be in relationship. We are designed for connection. And so we need to do the work of reconnection. We need to be people who don't, don't just think that everything's sorted. We need to be people who invest in relationships and all three of these types of relationships. You see, I think for, you know, if you look back through the last couple of centuries and sort of Christendom, Christendom kind of gave us this message of, well, you just need to be good. You need to believe the right things and do the right things. 
and how you are perceived. You know, you need to not do anything that would bring shame on you or your family. You need to not do anything that would ostracize you in any way. You need to not, you just need to be good. You need to follow the rules. You need to believe the right things. And then post-Christendom comes along. People have kind of rejected that legalistic, religious sort of um, history. And you go, no, 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 just be happy. Whatever makes you happy, you do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to be, you just be happy. That's the point. But then you see, you have, com- you have quotes. I remember Robbie Williams said, who ever thought I'd be quoting Robbie Williams? But Robbie Williams said, so you, you have everything you've ever dreamed of. You've bought everything you ever wanted. You've got all the fame and success you could ever have hoped for. And you're still unhappy. Where do you go? Where'd you go then? Jordan Peterson said, I wish that everybody could be rich and famous, at least for a while, so they could understand that it's not the answer. And right at the center of the gospel that we find in our Bibles, in our faith, in Jesus, is this invitation to be people who are whole, Not just to be good or to follow the right things, believe the right things, do the right things, but to be people who are whole. Jesus isn't the person who's going to make you happy. That's never the promise. Take up your cross and follow me. Like It's never the promise that everything's going to be great. You're never going to have any problems. But the invitation is to be whole. To be reconnected in every way we can. Reconnected with God. Reconnected with each other in our relationships, reconnected with ourselves, reconnected with creation. Shalom, as Joe was talking about. Our connected value has this um, statement attached to it. It says, we want to reconnect in every way we can so that the world around us can be restored, renewed, and reconnected in every way it can. This is the kingdom of God. You see, as we make these choices as a church, this isn't something we can do on our own. This is something we can do together. We can only do this life together. The stuff that God puts out there, the stuff that is in there in Scripture, whether it's the Ten Commandments or whether it's the Beatitudes or whatever it might be, will weigh down so heavy on you if you try and just fulfill them on your own. They are to be fulfilled as community. These are things that we get to live out together. And so together, we want to reconnect in every way we can so that the world around us can be restored, renewed and reconnected in every way it can. This is who we think we're called to be. This is the life we're called to be in, that we make this determined choice to live this out. Now I've done a whistle-stop tour through loneliness there. There's so much more to say. And what I don't want to do this morning is kind of go, oh, if you're lonely, well, you've just got a bit more work to do. No, no. Loneliness, as I've said, can be hugely debilitating. can be something that traps us and shrinks us and does real damage to us. But I do want you to know that we believe church, we believe Yoga Community Church is a place where we can walk this together. 
So if you want someone to pray with you, we want to be there. If you want someone to talk to you, we have people waiting to do that. If you want a small group to connect into, we have small groups waiting. There are ways that we can walk this together. This isn't a quick fix. Come forward for prayer and we'll just pray a quick prayer and you'll all be sorted. You'll never be lonely again. This isn't how this works. Statistically, 45% of us are already lonely. But this is work that we get to do together. Our best hope of doing this is together. This week, I gave a quote earlier from uh, Megan Good. Um, I've arranged to have a Zoom conversation with Megan. Now, the reason I talk about this is because Megan is actually writing a book um, about loneliness. um, And she's looking at what it is how it comes about, what can we do about it, and what can we collectively as a church do about it. I'm going to have a conversation with her, and if you, if any of you have any questions you would like me to put to her, um, then please do send them in. I'm going to have that conversation on Wednesday, so if you can get them in before then, that would be great, and I'd be happy to put questions to her. Um, but she really is a, a fount of wisdom in this area. Um, she's somebody I've got to know a little bit recently. She... Um, is a teaching pastor over in Arizona, um, but I've connected with her through an organization called Jesus Collective. We're part of the theology, theology circle as part of that, so she's trying to help other people work out the theology of it, and um, we have this opportunity. So if you have questions, I'd love to hear them um, so I can put them to her, so we can explore this a bit more deeply, and we'll put that conversation out, hopefully towards the end of this week or beginning of next But there's another aspect of loneliness that I want to talk about. And that's spiritual loneliness. Now, the first three that I've talked about, that intimate, that social, relational, tribal, collective, that's about how we relate to each other and that disconnection that is between us. Spiritual loneliness is about the disconnection that's within us. The disconnection from ourselves. I remember doing... a. Talk. This is many years ago when I was youth leader here. I was doing a talk at New Wine, and I um, to, to one of the youth groups, and I was talking a little bit about connection and disconnection and whatever. And I threw out this kind of brave question. I just went, "Look, how many of you make sure that you go to sleep with music on or with TV on or something because silence is just too difficult because of the the noise in your head or the pain or the." Like Silas just feels a bit suffocating for you because of that loneliness that you feel or that whatever, that, those emotions that stir up in that moment. And you know, two-thirds of the room put their hands up. This is about, I don't know how many, a couple of thousand kids. Two-thirds of the room put their hand up. So from being young, we can be aware of this Um, loneliness that is within us. Maybe a fear of realizing who we are or a sense that we don't fit. There's something not right. We're disconnected in some profound way. Henry David Thoreau says this, when our life ceases to be inward and private and private conversation degenerates into mere gossip, we rarely meet a man who can tell us any news which he has not read in the newspaper or
been told by his neighbour. And for the most part, the only difference between us and our fellow man is that he has seen the newspaper or been out to tea when we have not. In proportion, as our inward life fails, we go more constantly and desperately to the post office. You may depend on it that the poor fellow who walks away with the greatest number of letters, proud of his extensive correspondence, has not heard from himself this long while. This idea that actually sometimes we, we try and answer this loneliness that's within by just trying to fill our life with lots more friends and lots more noise and lots more activities and lots more things to do and lots more Netflix series or whatever it might be that we just want to drown out the noise. Maybe rather than going to the post, post office and walking away with letters, that's kind of from a little bit of a bygone age. Maybe it's going online and seeing how many likes we have or follows or clicks or whatever it might be. Mentions on Instagram. What does it mean to hear from ourselves? What does it mean to listen to ourselves? What does it mean to sit in that space where we reflect on who we are? I was praying about this. I, this morning has taken an inordinately long time to prepare and to wrestle with. I was kind of praying about what story do I want to tell from the Bible that, that is about loneliness? And, you know, I mean, how many stories are there? We could talk about Elijah. We could talk, I mean, we could talk about so many. We could talk about the exile of Adam and Eve. We could talk. There's so many people who are lonely in the Bible. I was a bit surprised that the story that came to mind was of Peter when he denies Jesus. I'll read it. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. So this is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, just before he's going to be arrested. And he's going, things are going to get bad, guys, and you're all going to desert me. This is about to get ugly. But don't worry, because when I come back to life, I'll go to Galilee and I'll meet you there. I mean, as confusing messages go, that's probably up there, right? So, let's be understanding of it. They didn't quite know how to deal with it. And Peter said to him, oh, no, no. If, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, oh, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. Probably because what else do you do? If one guy's going, oh, even if all these guys desert you, I'm not going to desert you. Well, you kind of go, oh, no, no, me neither. I'm not like, you kind of, there's no other response there, right? So they kind of have to join in. But Peter's the one going, I am not, I am not, I, it doesn't matter about these other guys. I am the guy who will never walk out on you, Jesus. I am the guy who will never desert you. I am the guy who is in no matter what. And I, I'm convinced that he believed that. A little bit later in the chapter, Jesus has been arrested. And he says, meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, 
you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. And just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. And Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you are clearly a Galilean. I don't think that's a compliment. I don't think they're saying that in an affectionate way. I think they're, I think they're shaming him there. But Peter, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Now you might kind of add him, I mean, that's a, it's a story, it's a good story, but what's that got to do with loneliness? But the loneliness that I'm talking about, I think Peter at that moment, the reason he breaks down and weeps, yes, because he's denied Jesus, yes, because he's failed in some way, but he absolutely believed he was the guy that would never deny Jesus. He was the guy that would never walk out. He was the guy that was totally faithful. He believed that. And what happens in this moment is he comes face to face with who he really is. He is absolutely the guy that will deny Jesus. He's absolutely the guy that will protect himself rather than defend Jesus. He's absolutely that guy. He has come face to face with who he is. And the profound loneliness of that moment when we see the reality of who we are compared to who we thought we were, hoped we were, believed profoundly that we were, this false self, this false ego that we spend so much of our lives curating and building and and looking after and developing and presenting online, presenting to our friends, And right here, Peter comes face to face with who he really is. And he's broken. But what's beautiful is when Jesus rises from the dead, Jesus meets Peter. Peter's out fishing because that whole life, that was just, that's gone, right? Jesus is dead. It's all over. So he goes back to what he originally did, fishing. But in this story, he's gone back and he's been fishing all night and he's caught nothing. And you can imagine the sort of narrative that's going through his head of, man, I can't even be a fisherman anymore. I can't even do this anymore. The one thing I was ever good at, and I can't even do it. Imagine how lonely he feels. And then he sees Jesus on the shore and Jesus says, no, fish on the other side of the boat. And he does, and he gets this huge catch of fish. And before they've even hauled it in, Peter is out of the boat and rushing to the shore because Jesus is there, stood by a fire. He denied him by a fire, and Jesus is now stood by a fire and says, Peter, remind me again, do you love me? Three times, and Peter says, yes, you know that I do. And then Jesus prophesies over him. 
this amazing restoration. Jesus meets him in the middle of his loneliness, in the middle of his desperation, in the middle of this, oh my goodness, this is who I really am. And in that lowest of moments, Jesus shows up. We've seen the same thing, and I've talked about this before, but with Jacob. Jacob, going back to meet his brother, he's stolen the whole birthright from, he's stolen everything from, and he's going back to meet him, and he goes back, and before he goes back, and he's about to cross the river to go and meet his brother, and he sends all his possessions, sends all his servants, sends all his cattle, then he sends his wife and his children, so there's just him left in that space of loneliness where he has to confront what he's done, he has to confront his brother, and it might die. And in this desperate loneliness, he meets God, and he wrestles with God. And then God says to him in the morning, so what is your name? Which is a profound question, because the last time we see Jacob being asked his name, he's answering his dad, and he's lying. He says his name is Esau, to steal the birthright of his brother. And Jesus brings him, God brings him right back to this very moment, says, no, what is your name? And this time he says, Jacob. But Jacob means liar, deceiver, cheat. So it is a moment of confession for Jacob, coming face to face with who he really is. And at that moment, God says, not anymore. Now your name is Israel. You see, it's at the moment of realization of who we are our ugliest self, if you like, that Jesus meets us. It's when we come face to face with our true selves that God reminds us who he created us to be. It's at the moment our false ego falls that we are invited to step into our true identity. And we were invited to do this together. We're invited to do this. We're invited to become part of the body of Christ, part of the church. We're invited to journey this together. At YCC, we want to reconnect in every way that we can so that the world around us can be restored, renewed, and reconnected in every way it can. This is the kingdom of God. As the musicians come up to help us respond... I wonder if we could close our eyes. I wonder if we could invite Jesus to meet us. This isn't an easy fix. This isn't a quick prayer. But it is a commitment to do the work of reconnection. Reconnecting with God. Reconnecting with creation. Reconnecting with each other. And reconnecting with ourselves. In the silence. Allowing Jesus to meet us. And invite us into the identity always had created us for. So Jesus, we invite you.
we invite you.